This podcast is sponsored by Proudmouth, the Influence Accelerators. We help you rise above the noise and be your own loud through professionally produced podcasts and a host of social strategies. Visit Proudmouth.com to learn more. Welcome to the Quantum Growth Podcast, empowering financial advisors to build practices for the 21st century by providing insights and interviews on leadership, strategy, and practice management. Now, here is your host, Barron's Hall of Fame advisor, Jonathan Cutton. Welcome to another episode of Quantum Growth for Financial Advisors. I have a repeat offender. Dr. Ray Kelly, is this the third time? I believe, I believe so. It's like Saturday Night Live. I'm like the Alec Baldwin. I'm the most, you're the host that's been on there the most. Is... Yes. No, I'm the host. You're not the host, right? What no, are you talking about? The, the, guest, the guest that's been on yes. the most. That's oh, it. you're trying to take my mic from me. I, I see what you're trying to do here, Kelly. I get it. By the time this comes out, it will be the new year. So happy new year to everybody. And I couldn't think of a better first guest uh, to kick off 2022 than one of my mentors and coaches, Ray Kelly. So thanks again for doing it today, Ray. And Ray and I were chatting a little bit. We always have so many things to talk about. What we came to the conclusion for today's podcast is to be able to get some insight from Ray as it relates to the five levels of leadership, which I'm going to ask Ray in a minute to give a little uh, refresher. So Ray was kind enough to do a podcast a, a little while back, which we can reference in the show notes if you want a refresher. It'll be a good one to listen to again on what Ray calls the five levels of leadership, which is different, by the way, than Maxwell's five levels of leadership. What I've come to the conclusion of both in my own wealth management practice, as well as in coaching advisors uh, who aspire to really have a leadership culture and to be the CEO of their own business, is a lot of times we're missing and newer leaders are missing what I'll call the tools or tactics to actually help advisors move from a different level of leadership to that next level of leadership. And I can share, Ray is masterful at that, at really helping you think a little bit differently. So with that, Ray, uh, a nicer welcome than my joke before. And maybe you could just say a quick hello to everyone and a summary of the five levels of leadership would be amazing. You really got my mind moving faster, John. And yeah, happy new year to all the audience, even though it's still 2021 for the two of us, but it'll be flipping quick. The five levels of leadership, again, that called the Kelly version, I stole it from my my boss and mentor years and years ago, but for lack of a better term, we'll call it the Kelly version because there's a couple other more famous versions where guys have sold millions of books. Jim Collins wrote Good to Great, and there he talked about the five levels of leadership, and his is all about the attributes of great leader. Maxwell's is all about the relationship between the leader and the follower, and I think both of them are terrific models. I just developed this over the years with my boss's help is the core competencies necessary to be a great leader. So I'll go through it real quick and then talk about, to your point, what are some of the tools and tactics to move yourself up? First, a level one leader is a person when told what to do gets the job done. When told what to do gets the job done. That doesn't necessarily sound like a leader. It sounds like a follower, but there's an old adage that says leading by example is one way of leading. Okay, a level one leader leads by example. A level two leader does level one, lead by example, plus they can identify problems. Not a big difference between a one and a two, 
Okay, it's human nature to identify problems. So this is a person who's always bringing problems to you. They're working with on this Smith case and they say, hey, I had this problem. So not a big difference. The level three does levels one and two consistently, plus they can identify solutions. We like threes. So when they're dealing with the Smith, they come up with the problem. They also come up with the solutions to it. Big difference between the two and the three. A level four leader does level three consistently, plus they can mobilize a group of people around a common cause to drive a result consistently. A mouthful, so I'll say it again. A level four does level three, plus they can mobilize a group of people around a common cause to drive a result consistently. Big difference between the three and four. So this is a person when you say, hey, go deal with the Smiths. They run into a problem. Not only do they come up with the solutions to the problem, they put systems and processes in place so you don't have to do these problems again. They enroll everyone in your organization, train them and stuff like that. Humongous difference between a three and a four. We love fours. Now, a level five leader does level four consistently. Plus, what they do is they tie everything back to the vision, mission, values of the organization or of the individual. But most importantly, what a level five does is they develop other level four pluses. So one of the things I typically do when I teach this, John, is I have everyone play the freeze game. I say, freeze, what are you thinking? What are you feeling and what are you doing right now? So if you're listening at home, actually think about that. What are you thinking as I describe these five levels of leadership? What are you feeling? What are you doing? 90% of the time, 90% of the people are thinking one of three things, if not all three of these things. They're thinking to themselves, what number am I? Number two, they're thinking, what number are the people in my organization? I know, John, it's natural for you to do this on a regular basis. You and I talk about this all of the time, okay? You need to have more level four pluses that can mobilize, drive the results. And that's one of the things that's happening at Cut and Wealth Management is that dynamic is there now. And the third thing, and I know you think about this all the time, is how do I move myself and all of the people in my organization up, okay? And so that's the big part of it. Think about it. Self-assessment, um, self-awareness, inspiration. This is a form of a vision for creating a leadership culture. So now the question was, okay, what are some of the tools and tactics to move people up? One of the questions that a friend of mine asked me just the other day, he said, Ray, what's the biggest um, hindrance? What's the biggest reason why people don't create a level five culture? Because it makes so much sense. You want a culture where you're developing leaders to develop leaders to develop leaders. Because what's the number one thing that stops people from doing that? And my answer was intentionality. So the first thing, if you want to improve the leadership within your group, you need to become intentional. Okay. At Cotton Wealth Management, as an example, it's right in their vision statement. It's one of their values. That's what I mean by potential. It's, it's on the wall. We're going to become a leadership development factory. Okay. And that's the first thing I would tell everyone. When I was a young leader, I decided I was going to be a great leader. I wrote a, what I call the IDP. I wrote it down in my business plan, my goals. I want to become a better leader. The first thing I would tell everyone, if you just want to help develop people, start with yourself and then within your firm, be intentional. Start by writing it down. Okay. Yes. Right. Super well said, as always. You just to elaborate on a couple of the pieces that you said, I can remember when you asked me that question, I don't know, four or five years ago, three or four years ago, maybe it was. 
you asked me a great question, which was how many level four leaders, four plus leaders do I have in the organization? And at the time, the answer was none other than maybe myself. And I wasn't even sure if I was level four at that point. Still not exactly sure. I think on some things I am, but who knows? I want the audience to understand this as well. Unfortunately, it's not I dream of genie where we can wiggle our nose uh, and poof, we develop level fours and fives in the organization. Sometimes you can get lucky and, and recruit one, right? So sometimes yeah. they're out there and I got lucky and, and added one or maybe even two to the team that were already pre-developed and were there and I didn't have to do all the heavy lifting, et cetera. It takes some patience and it takes some time. For the advisors listening in, if you're in that phase of your career and, and getting to meet a lot of the advisors that listen to the podcast, one of the things that I've learned is a lot of our listeners are a million plus in revenue as a financial advisor and are somewhere in what I would call, to steal a phrase from my my friend and partner, Paul Latham, they're in what I would call the in-between zone, meaning they're still what I would what I would consider to be a uh, lifestyle practice, but they're on their way to a real business or enterprise. The hard part is having the stick-to-itiveness when you're as successful as you are to run a million-dollar-plus business, to actually have that patience so that you can build this leadership culture that Ray described a minute ago and that we really focus on within our own, own practice. So you need a little patience. It takes a little while. And that's what I'd like to segue to a little bit, Ray. So once you've made that decision and said, hey, I want to be more of a CEO, I want to develop other leaders in the organization that can be four plus, what do you do? What are the tools? What are the tactics? What kind of systems and processes do you need to have in place in an organization? I want everyone to write this down. 70, 20, 10. It's a formula. Okay. When you're developing people, this is how adults learn and grow, whether it's leadership or financial planning, whatever basketball skills, become a better golfer or better musician, whatever it may be, this formula applies. This is how adults learn and grow. 70% is you have to do. You have to practice. You don't become a great leader by reading a book. That's the 10%. 10% books, class, podcasts. Today is a 10%er. You listen to a podcast, you're going to learn some things. But that's not how you become a great leader or run a great financial services firm or practice. The 20% is coaches and mentors. Okay. I believe the 20% is the multiplier. You must go do. And that was one of the things that I'll tell the audience. John gets a little impatient at times. Okay. When I asked him that question, I, I don't remember the answer, how many level four pluses do you have, but I know you're too into it. it they weren't being developed fast enough. Okay. I just Very true. <laughs> he was just like, they're not fast enough. It's kind of like a plant. Even if you add fertilizer to it, water, sunlight, they only grow so fast, even under the best conditions. It's the same thing about leadership. They have to go experience it. This is how you become a better golfer. A good coach or mentor actually gets you set up the right way, giving you feedback as you're going. Watch this video, all of that stuff, but you have to go play. You got to go play. 
And it's the same thing about leadership. So my big thing for all of you is, as you're thinking about a tactic to how to move people up this thing, first and foremost, John, your comment, patience, I smiled. If people had watched this podcast, they would see me smile because John is not the most patient guy out there. No. <laughs> His organization knows that. And actually, it's one of his strengths. But he could push the envelope on this stuff. Okay. He, he did go out and find some really talented leaders to help accelerate his vision of creating a supercharged leadership development factory. Well, we needed to hire some fives. We needed to hire some people who would actually have some skills of developing people. But immediately put that formula in place. They have to go experience. So one of the things, if you want to develop leaders, expose them to experiences where they have to lead. It may be simply a project. And maybe simply uh, having a, a junior person report to them for a period of time. Okay. And you can't just say, go get them tiger. You can. You're just going to have to live with that, that consequence and just go get them tiger. But that coaching and mentoring is so important for that new leader. Because, John, I want you to go back to your leadership experiences in life. I don't know about you, but my most difficult leadership position was my first. First time I had direct reports. Yeah, I, I, I messed it up. They all hated me. <laughs> That's the truth. They all quit eventually. Not all of them, but yes, I, I wasn't very good at it. Ray, as I'm listening to you speak as well, I thought this is where you were going, but you I, I don't think you were. One of the things I struggled the most with, you talk about being impatient, is getting to a point that even though you know the answer and you know how to fix it, to not just say, oh, you don't know what you're doing. I'm going to go do it for you. But to be able to actually watch it go a little in a wrong direction and then steer it back in the, in the direction it should go. Absolutely. And we'll get to styles of leadership. And one of the values of the five levels of leadership is you have a common language that talks about where either you're self-assessing or as a leader, you're helping assess one of your followers and saying, hey, great level two, you just brought me a problem, okay? And often what happens because the, the value that we have is we, for many of us, is coming up with solutions, getting the answer. As a leader, you gain credibility when you're the person who can solve the problem, solve the problem, solve the problem. And that was one of the challenges that I had at Cotton Wealth Management is I told John, John, you're the, you're the problem. And it may not have felt really good, but they rely on you to think through all of these strategies, things like that. It's just like they all look to John and it, you became the bottleneck and you were, you were frustrated because you were the bottleneck versus no, we have to allow these people based on their readiness to lead. So one of the things of creating a level five culture is we needed to have a tool that I call it a foundational tool of developing the skills of leadership. And we call it situational leadership. It's something that Ken Blanchard and one of his partners, Paul Hersey, developed back in the, the 60s, and it still applies today. And we use situational leadership, which looks at a couple of variables. It looks at first of the ability of the person. Okay, they do a specific task in a subtask. So, for example, a task of meeting with a client. 
there's so many different types of client meetings. There's the initial meeting. There may be a service meeting. There may be a plan presentation meeting. They're all very different. Oh, by the way, there may be different levels in terms of all of a sudden you're talking to a multimillionaire versus you're talking to your neighbor, okay, who has a, a few hundred thousand dollars. Completely different subtask of dealing with this. And for the people that are golf fans, I'll tie back to that analogy. A lot of us know how to play golf, but then there's a completely different level of playing golf, being a professional golfer and, and playing on Sunday during the Masters. Okay. Tiger Woods, we'd all agree, is one of the best golfers that ever played. But one of the things that he had an advantage over so many of his counterparts was he got used to playing in pressure situations. He loved it. He knew on Sunday during a major, he had an advantage because he'd been there, done that one many, many times. Okay. At one point in time, he was like 72 and one when he was leading in a tournament on Sunday on the back nine. He knew he was going to win. And guess what? Everyone else did. He was a high readiness. He had high ability. Okay. And high motivation to do this. So I won't go through the whole model because it would be a whole podcast of going through situational leadership, but it's a tool that we use to develop the people in our organization. And I encourage you to Google it, situational leadership. It's a great tool that is foundational of the language at the firm to help people get the right leadership at the right moment. This podcast is sponsored by Proudmouth, the influence accelerators. Proudmouth. Tired of chasing potential clients? We help you spend less time selling and more time advising by amplifying your influence over a growing audience of magnetically attracted fans who will chase you down instead. Visit ProudMouth.com to learn more. Be your own loud. We have a little time here, buddy. Could, could we go through it in a quick little scenario? I think it'd be really helpful to the audience. I'll give you an example, if that's okay. We'll do a little role play, a little live role play. We'll see if we can pull this off. And you can apply the situational leadership model to help me determine whether or not what type of leadership I would need in order to accomplish this task. I'll give you a great example. We talk a lot about our advisors and our coaching program helps a lot of advisors build partnerships with CPA firms. One of the things that advisors always struggle with is we get the CPA to say, yes, I'd like to go work with Cut and Wealth Management or whatever the firm might be. The CPA says, yes, we get them to agree to meet consistently, which is part of our process. And then what we want to do is we want to actually get the CPA to call the CPA's clients and set up an appointment to go through a consultation with the financial advisor, which is an easy task. CPA knows how to make a phone call and how to dial the phone. They know how to speak. We give them a script, et cetera, et cetera. So if you think about that, because that's something we find the advisors in our organization and other organizations have a really hard challenge with is getting the CPA to do that. What would the questions you could ask me, Ray, to determine whether or not I've trained my advisor the right way to ultimately complete that task? Great. So I, I want everyone to write this down. Just write the acronym SAM down, S-A-M. The S stands for specific subtask. What John did right there is he, he defined the task. 
picking up the phone and calling a, one of your CPA clients and introducing them to Cut and Wealth Managed. Very specific. It's not, uh, is this person know how to use the telephone? Is this person know, know their clients very well? No, it's actually picking up the phone and introduce, making the introduction to Cut and Wealth Manager. Very specific. The A stands for ability. The M stands for motivation. So what John is talking to me about is, Ray, can you try to assess my ability and motivation to do the specific task of picking up the phone? Ability has four attributes that I'm looking for. Four. Okay. And we use another acronym. That's, this is one of the reasons why both of us love this model is it's got these acronyms that help you remember this stuff. So as a leader, you can go, okay, Sam, I start with specific tasks and then I go to ability. Under ability, it's true, T-R-U-E. The T stands for training. Has this person received the training to do this specific task? The, the R stands for role perception. Does John understand it's his role as the CPA to pick up the phone and call his clients to introduce the wealth management? This is why we're, we're in this relationship, the CPA advisor relationship, role perception. That's the R. The U is understanding. Okay, do you understand what you need to do and why you need to do it, how to do it? And then the E is experience, and specifically recent relevant experience. Okay, for example, uh, a CPA may have done this 10 years ago, but hasn't done it in 10 years. It's not recent relevant. Okay, Tiger Woods hasn't been on the, the, on the golf course for a couple of years now because of injuries. He's got he's to be low, potentially in recent relevant experience. If any one of these four, the answer is no. He hasn't received the training, doesn't understand this, this role perception. He doesn't understand the, the process or had recent relevant experience, we consider that person low in ability. They can have three S's, but one of those fours is no, they're low in ability. Let's go to the M. Okay, M stands for motivation. Okay, I've seen this model done over the years, and sometimes they use the acronym WISC, and sometimes they use the acronym DISC. Let me tell you the difference between it. The W stands for willingness, the D stands for desire. They basically mean the same thing. Does the person have the desire or willingness to actually pick up the phone and do this task? The I stands for incentive. Do they see what's in it for them? The S stands for security. Okay. Are they okay failing at this? They're not so worried that, gosh, what's going to happen to me if I fail at this? And the, finally, the final C is confidence. They have the confidence. All four of those must be present in order for the person to be perceived as high in motivation. If one of them is lacking, we consider them low and we will, we will lead them differently. And we'll get to that in a minute. Okay, so if I was ask, asking John about this, I'd say, John, you're the CPA, is that right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> Mr. CPA, have you ever worked with a, uh, a financial advisor before in terms of uh, alliance relationship? No, you're my first time. Okay, so you've, you've never introduced your client to a financial advisor before. Have you done that before? No, I have, but not many times. Just if a client asks or something, never proactively, just if they ask, I'll pass along three names or something like that. Okay, great. And so, so are you willing to do this with me today is actually pick up the phone and call some clients? 
if you tell me what to say, I'm, I'm not exactly sure what I would say. So maybe not. I'm not sure. Okay, if, if I give you the we'll role play, I'll actually demonstrate for you first how to actually make that phone call. Would that make you feel a little bit more confident? Yeah, I guess so. Sure. Okay. And you do realize how important this is for your clients and how this will lead to their success in terms of financial success by working with Cut and Wealth Management? Yeah, I mean, I've seen some of your process, Ray. You guys seem pretty good. And for the listeners out there, one of the things I can do is I can just go through these eight questions. I can say, hey, have you ever been trained on this? And you're going, no. Okay. You understand that your role, this is part of the relationship. You you need to pick up the phone and it, because they're your clients that introduce them to Commonwealth Management. They'll either say, yeah, or no. Okay. You understand how to do this? He already said no. You could actually literally ask them each of these questions. What I used to do, John, in my organizations, and I know you do the same thing, is I train everyone in my organization that I want to develop, okay? And that's everyone in my organization I want to develop this model so that I can actually shorten the process and actually just say, hey, where, where do you stand in terms of your readiness to do this specific task? And the person will go, hey, I'm, I'm really low on this. I'm probably an R1, readiness one. And what that means is they're low in ability, the A, one of the four, if not all four are missing, and they're low in motivation. One of the four, if not all four of those are missing. If one of them is missing, they're low, they're low in it. Well said, Ray. And I think as, as you were asking me the questions, those are realistic answers, right, that you would hear from a CPA, from those of you who, who work with CPAs. And then what I found, if, if we've switched role play for a minute, and now Ray was the CPA, and I was, I was the advisor, I would then ask Ray on the other side of the equation, the desire or willingness, right? I would say, Ray, are you, are you willing to actually make these calls? I've, we've role played the script. You know what to say. You know how to say it. Is this something that you have a willingness to do? Amen. Yes. I really want to do this, John. I can see how this is going to benefit my business big time. Great. Yep. Hey, Ray, what's in it for you? Do you, do you understand exactly what's in it for you if you get get you know some of your clients to become my clients? This this is the first time I ever worked with a financial advisor. I, I I guess I don't really understand it very well. There's two pieces there, Ray. Do you, do you understand? Because I know we talked about it three meetings ago. I think you now understand the value we provide because you've gone through our process and you've in fact gone through our process yourself with with your That's wife. True. But do you get how you get compensated? I, I know you went through that whole process. Do you understand that? I kind of forgotten that too. Don't I get a percentage of of the business that you do when we split that? Yeah. Do Do you think you understand it fully, Ray? Uh, could you explain it back to me? No, I don't think I can. I, I just know that I get a percentage, and I'm not even sure how you guys get paid. Got it. Okay. And then I just asked Ray from a security and confidence perspective are there any any concerns you have right now if you make this phone call today anything that you're worried about that could be a unintentional consequence yeah i am concerned that some of my clients are worried you know that i'm pushing a financial advisor on them and financial advice i've never done that before yep nope completely understand have I reviewed with you? I don't remember. I don't think we've reviewed yet how to position this to a client in a non-threatening way and let them know why you're doing this and how and the fact that you don't even really need to be involved in the process. Have we gone through that whole role play yet? You have. And I, I think I just probably need to 
to hear it again. But yeah, maybe, um, maybe we should do that again. So you know what? Here's what I understand as the guy who's supposed to be leading you. I haven't done my job yet. I don't think you should call any clients today because I think we've got to get you to a point that you're actually feeling much more comfortable because I, I sense some reservation. Would that make you feel a little bit better? Yes, it would. So, so let's invest a little bit of time. So, so I just wanted to do that because here is what I would share. And this is the key that Ray's been able to teach me. And I've therefore been able to teach others on our team. At the end of the day, this tool is designed for you as the leader to assess the followers re readiness. And it's upon you as the leader to do that. And it's not the follower. This is the real key that I learned. It's not the followers fault that they can't complete the task most of the time. Sometimes it is, but most of the times it was you providing the wrong level of leadership. And usually it's not enough of it for them to actually be able to execute on whatever that task is. Does that make sense to you? It does. And for the people listening, let me go through this really quickly with you. If a person's low in ability and low in motivation, we call them a R1, low in readiness, R1. If they're low in ability, so back to the true, something was missing there, but all four of the, they're high in motivation. So the, the whisk disc thing, everything was yes. The person's super motivated, they understand, they have confidence, security, all of that good stuff is there. High in motivation, so low in ability, high in motivation, we consider that person an R2. Okay, when they're high in ability and low in motivation, we call that an R3. And then the highest readiness is a person that's high in ability and high in motivation. That's Tiger Woods on a Sunday back nine of the Masters. Okay. He knows how to play. He's been there before. He looks forward. He loves that pressure. Loves it. Okay. This is John Cutton dealing with the CPA. Okay. Having this discussion with the CPA, high in ability, high in motivation. It's really good. He's an R4. If I'm leading John, I can just let John go do his job. Tiger Woods doesn't need a coach on the back nine. He knows what he's doing. Okay. But the person, what most of the CPAs, when you first start with them, John, my guess is most of them are what? When you first attaching the subtask of calling clients. They're actually usually R1, <laughs> to, be, to be honest, or maybe, maybe R2. Okay. And here's the thing. What John has taught his team, his business development group, is you then have to use a different style versus you're dealing with the CPAs been doing this for 10 years. Those people, you use what we call S4, a delegating style. Okay? You don't have to be highly involved in, in the call. You don't have to be highly involved in checking in with them because the whole, whole time is they know what they're doing. They're, they understand the incentive. They're motivated. You let them go. If you actually go to their office and dial and actually say, hey, let's role play again, you do what we call overleading them. They start to get angry. Leave me alone. I know what I'm doing. Okay. The flip side, the person who's low readiness in R1, low in ability, low in motivation, and you give them the delegating style. Hey, let me know how it goes. Talk to you next week. And they, they crash and burn. When you miss by, I like to call it miss by three boxes. They're in R1 and you're giving them S4 delegating style. 
Okay. What happens is they get angry, mad, and hostile. <laughs> and th- these are the people who quit. These are the people who leave your organization. And we're talking about a CPA making this phone call. It's a specific subtask. This happens in your offices every single day. You may have a brand spanking new person who's, who walks in and you say, hey, prepare a service thing for it. They don't even know how to use the computer. Yeah, Ray, two, two or three quick points that are racing through my mind. One is, as Ray said before, we've taught our whole organization the situational leadership model. We've also taught our CPA firms the situational leadership model. So if you want to win over a CPA, number one, teach them a skill set that will resonate with them. Hopefully the way it's resonating with our listeners right now, go, man, I should do that in my business because it'll actually help them in their accounting practice. Forget about building a wealth management division and it just just leading their own staff better because everyone struggles with this. Now you've become a leader or mentor or teacher, right, to that CPA. Two, once you've taught it, it's much easier to actually get them to do what you want them to do because you actually have some experimental learning going on where you're actually going, now that you understand it, where would you say you are? I think you're R1 or R2 or or whatever it may be. And then the other thing I'd say when Ray talks about missing several boxes at once, specifically with CPAs, for a lot of advisors, the CPA says, yes, I'd like to work with you. You have a good couple of meetings. And then they start to cancel or they don't return your call or they make up an excuse that they need to miss today's meeting. What that is most of the time is your poor leadership. You're either over or under leading them. So they're either uncomfortable that John's going to come to my office and tell me what to do and I'm not ready to do it or I know how to do it, right? Or they're worried that John's going to come to my office and I'm going to have to tell him I did nothing because I'm really nervous and I don't know what to say and I don't even know why I'm doing this anymore. I just followed you. And that's when you get really good at it. Leadership is influence. Influence is the ability to actually understand how to get someone to do what it is you want them to do or they need to do really, right, to get what they want for themselves. You know, what Ray just really articulately did, and I'm getting excited about it because that's what I do, um, is just explain in real simple terms, man, you push that through your organization, you push it through anything, could be in your family life, could be partnering with the CPA, could be your business. And what you start to realize is there is actually a reason things aren't working. And it's not what I used to say is why does everyone suck? Why well, I don't understand. Why is that? Why does no one know what they're doing? And the reason is because they're not yet R4. And the reason they're not R4 is because of me. And I haven't developed them as their leader, as their leader to actually master both the ability side and the motivation side of the equation. And depending on the subtask, what you're asking them to do, People can go from R1 to R4 rapid, certain things, okay? You could, you could show them how to make a phone call and based on if they've used the phone a lot and prior things, they're like, yeah, I could do that. Like you said, some, some CPAs are have comfort. Oh, yeah, I could call some of my clients. This sounds easy. Say that again for me. And next thing you know, they go from R1 to R4 really fast. 
this is just as a side note for a lot of people that I coach and led over the years. When someone says to me, I'm not a very good delegator. John, you ever heard that before? I'm not a very good delegator. Okay. What they're screaming to me is I'm not very good at developing people. Because by definition, the only people you can delegate to are people that are R4 at a specific task. If you delegate S4 style, which is the S4 style, and you've delegated to an R1, low in ability, low in motivation, it crashes and burns. Maybe an R3, who's high in ability, but low in motivation, it's kind of the skill and the will thing. They have the skill, but maybe not the will. Okay. Maybe it gets done. What I used to tell my leaders was this. If the person you're leading doing a specific task is an R1 or R2, who owns getting the task completed? You do, the leader. Because they don't have the ability. Something's missing on the true side. So thus, you own getting it done. When they're R3 or R4, which means they have the ability, and now we're dealing with motivation, they've, they've been trained they have experience that role perspective, all of that stuff's there, but something's missing. They still need to get the task done, but you don't have to show them how to do that. You have to start working on the, the motivation side. What's missing on that side if they're an R3 and R4? And it's back to just error on the side. I, I'm a big believer in error on the side of overleading, John, because the task gets done. The task gets done. When you underlead, often the task fails. But if we have a common language and the CPA can say, hey, John, no problem, man. I'm an R4 at this. You don't have to come to my office and role play with me every week. I got this down. And another way to assess is asking questions, but data tells us this. You've heard me say this so many times, John, I collect data points. Hey, when they start missing appointments, it tells me they're not either we're missing bad on our leadership. They're out of the comfort zone. They're not getting something from me. There's, that's a data point. Hmm. They don't like the dial. They seem to always have something come up during our dial time. That mm-hmm. tells me right away something's missing on the, the, the WIST side, the motivation side. I look at the numbers and we haven't set an appointment in three weeks. That tells me either ability or motivation, something's missing. But nothing more powerful than two people who understand the model and they can what what I call contract for style. Hey, I'm an R4 on this. I just need S4. Cool. Or, hey, I'm really low on readiness. Can you show me how to do that again? Can we make some dials together? As an aside, just a quick story, and then we've got just a couple of minutes left. I vividly recall working with a very large accounting firm, New York City. I do a kickoff meeting. This is several years back. In the kickoff meeting, I have the same conversation we just have. I explain the readiness assessment model. I use the same example about making a phone call to a client. Yeah. I go by a raise of hands. There's probably 40 CPAs or something like that in the room. Who, if I asked right now, is willing to take their phone out and call one of their clients and set a meeting regarding financial planning with my firm? Half dozen hands go up. All the brave, all the brave people. I call on one person. The CPA's name was Jerry. I won't give a last name. He was a great guy, older gentleman, funny, life of the party, 
not not a typical CPA, pretty outgoing, <laughs> et cetera. No, no disrespect to the CPAs listening. So make a long story short, I make them do it. I go, you really going to do it? Yeah, I'll do it. We, re- we, you know, we review the scripts, everything. He rings the phone. Sure enough, second ring. His client picks up the phone. Our script is dialed in very, you almost can't say no to it. He makes a small talk with the client. The client's on speaker. There's 40 of us listening right now. And he goes, you know, you probably already have someone. I I shouldn't even ask you. We're doing this financial planning thing. I don't really know if we, if we got the right guy or not, but you probably wouldn't want to meet with him. Would you Nah, You wouldn't want to meet with him. You're all set. Literally. I mean, those are like as bad as you can possibly bomb. I don't know that there's a moral to that story, but anecdotally, what when you were talking about it, Ray, a lot of times people misassess and they think, hey, I got it, right? Like I'm I'm R4. I don't need anything. And Jerry thought he got it. And I mean, we all had a good laugh about it. And the moral of the story was, hey, I think I need to provide a little more training to everyone. So we don't we don't do the polar opposite of what we were supposed to do and talk someone out of actually having the appointment. Ray, with that being again, yeah, using using other data points, watch their behavior, look at the numbers. Those are other things that you can assess someone's readiness. We just found that when you get it in your culture and the people can actually say, hey, I'm an R1, you know, right away as a leader, I have to go demonstrate first. I need then observe them doing it before I can confirm they're doing it. We call that doc work in, in short terms. And it becomes comfortable. Human nature, sometimes we don't want to look foolish. Okay, so we will overassess our readiness so no one's in our meetings together, but the data will be the data. Okay, eventually... We haven't had any introductions in three weeks. What's going on? Maybe I should spend some time with you and dial with you for a couple of weeks. How about we do that? And that's the form of contracting for style. Hey, Ray, we're just about out of time here. As always, gems, pearls of wisdom. I thank you for your time and for your insight. I think we have this from our last show, probably. Is it still? Is it R. Kelly at thinktoperform.com? Is that where we find you? You got it. So I can do it now. I don't even need the answer. It's R. Kelly, K-E-L-L-Y, at think, the number two, perform.com. If you, uh, you know, wanted to get in touch with Ray, and of course, their firm's website is thinktoperform.com as well. You are the man. Any final thoughts or anything you wanted to share as uh, any other pearls of wisdom? Well, I, I want to make sure people get one thing here, okay? In terms of ad- adult learning, we talked about the 70-20-10, but there's three levels of learning. The first level is recognition, second level is understanding, and the final level is integration. The fastest way to really learn this type of stuff is, is you develop yourself as a leader, phone skills, whatever, make golf game. The fastest way to get through this is you have to do it, but you go on and teach it. Eric Sorowski on your team is one of the best I've ever been around at taking a concept and he uses his CPAs that he works with. He goes, teaches this stuff to them right away. Value add to their business, helps them develop as leaders as they run their practice. And, and because teaching gets you out of your comfort zone. It gets you really uncomfortable really fast because you have a fear of looking foolish, depending on the number of people you teach it to. And Eric was one of the best I've ever seen. Take a concept, go teach it to eight CPAs in a week, 
between the second and third one, he'd call me up and go, right, can you do that over again with me? I tried it with CPA just now and it bombed. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> all right, man, let's role play. And he did that. And I think, John, that's one of the things you've driven through your culture. So I congratulate you and your, your culture. The reason why it's um, becoming a supercharged leadership development factory is because of the fact that this is happening every single day moment in your offices. Nice job. Well, thanks, Ray. And as you know, a lot of it is attributable to your advice and leadership as well. So we thank you for that. And thanks for another great episode. So good way to start off the new year, close things up the way I always close them up, which is if you yourself or anyone you know could be a good guest on our show, shoot us an email, drop us a line. We're always looking for good and interesting guests. So with that being said, I hope everybody enjoyed today's episode. Thanks again, Mr. Doctor, whatever I should call you these days, Kelly, or just, just good old Ray. As always, we appreciate the time. Have a great day, everybody. If you are interested in learning more about how Cut & Consulting Group can help you with comprehensive coaching or partnering with CPA firms in your area, feel free to visit our website at www.cutandconsultinggroup.com or reach out to us at 855-722-9393 to have a conversation.